Our prayer is that you will be filled with the knowledge of His will, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power. So hello everyone. Uh, welcome to Strength to Strength Sisters. Uh, this is our first talk. We're so excited to have you here. Um, Linnell Martin, um, it was about less than a month ago that she asked me if I wanted to join this with her and Jamila Kurtz. And now we're here. We are here today. So that's uh, pretty amazing. Um, our prayer is that God will use this platform to spread his message to his daughters and grow faithful servants to his, uh, for his kingdom. Um, and our vision at Strength of Strength Sisters is to encourage women to be catalysts in advancing the kingdom through biblical teaching, testimonies of faithful women, and thought-provoking discussions. Um, so a little about myself. Uh, my name is Christina Bear. Um, I'm married to Sam Bear. Uh, we have three children. We have Elliot, who's four, Autumn, who's two, and Ivan is seven months old. Um, we live in Cochrane, Alberta, Canada. Uh, I'm a stay-at-home mom that's trying to live one day at a time uh, with my eye on the things that are from above. So a little about my background. Uh, my sister and I were raised by a single mom. Um, there was, we lived in a non-religious home, um, although my dad did read us some children's Bible stories when we were pretty small. So I had an understanding of some of the main stories and that there may have been a God or and about Jesus. But as I grew up, I just didn't really believe I was definitely would never call myself an atheist, but God was not part of my life whatsoever. Um, fortunately, about two years ago, just over, actually, just less than three years ago, um, I started to follow Christ. And it has been a life altering journey. Uh, the joy that I've experienced in my heart is something that I can't even describe. Um, it's something that I've been longing for my whole life, and I finally found it. So amen for that. Uh, I am passionate about taking Jesus at his word, uh, living a simple life, making changes in my home and um, or my character, one conviction or one trial at a time. Uh, Sam and I are currently trying to be Faithful witnesses here in our town, there is no um, kingdom church, if you will, here. So we're trying to start something and we're trying to find the needs of um, start some sort of mission work with people that are in need right here in our in our town. So, yeah, that's a little about myself. Um, some of our announcements is this talk is for women. So we ask that it's only women on the call this morning or this afternoon. So if you're a man, if you can hang up, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Um, after Tanya's talk, there's going to be a Q&A. So we ask that you please participate in the questions. Um, jot something down if you think about it um, as she's speaking. Um, or there's a chat box at the bottom of your Zoom screen. You can submit questions that way if you like as well. Um, these talks are recorded. Uh, they, the recordings, when they're posted, will be on our website. You will not be able to access them through YouTube by searching it. So you'll have to come onto our website to access them. Um, and they'll also be available as a podcast as well. And just so you know, um, you will not be recorded at all unless you speak and your screen comes up. Otherwise, there's no need to worry about that. And then so I'll give you a little bit of uh, Tanya's bio. So Tanya and her husband, Dean, will celebrate their 34th wedding anniversary this December. Uh, they have six children, three sons and three daughters, and they are blessed with two grandchildren. Um, they live in Medford, which is about 15 minutes from Boston. They live there with a small band of brothers and sisters there at Oakland Street. There's uh, six families, including their own, and they're all within walking distance of each other. Tanya is a wife mother, grandmother, and sister in the local Followers of the Way Church there in uh, Medford. She offers a supporting role to her husband in his role as president of Sattler College, and this year she's mentoring two students at Sattler. Tanya was raised evangelical. She got married and joined the 76th Army Band stationed in Germany. Um, it was there that the Lord did a work in their lives and led to her and Dean getting out as conscientious objectors, and this is where their journey really began. They spent 10 years in a church with David Bersow down in Texas, 12 years with a charity movement in Pennsylvania, and six years in a Christian revived Hutterite community. During these years, they began working with refugees in Greece before being called to the work at Sattler College and Followers of the Way. 
They continue the work with the refugee crisis in Greece and try to travel there once a year, though it's been a little disrupted due to COVID. Uh, Tanya is passionate about serving the Lord and his body while doing everyday Christian life in community with others, as well as learning more about how to bring others into that fold through meaningful outreach and evangelism. Um, so now I'd just like to take a moment and pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for this glorious day. Thank you for the opportunity for us sisters to come together using technology that connects so many of us from around the world. I pray that you'll use this platform to spread your message to your daughters and grow faithful servants for your kingdom. Father, I ask that you give Tanya clarity of thought and for her to be able to share her message that you want her to give. I pray that you will bless this endeavor and that Strength to Strength Sisters is an encouragement to sisters to be a catalyst to advance your kingdom. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to this world to set up your kingdom and giving us words and an example to live by. May S2S sisters bring glory to your name, Father. I pray these things in the name of our King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, Tanya, I'll pass it Amen. over to you. Welcome. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to switch over to my notes if I can. Let's see. Maybe my husband can help. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, I really cannot tell you all what a joy and a privilege it is to get to be here and to be able to share on our very first Strength to Strength. Um, it's not a podcast. What do we call this? Strength to Strength uh, Conference for Women. And uh, again, the name of a talk. A talk. Sorry, thank you. Thank you. This talk. <laughs> Excuse me. So the name of my message that was given to me is the woman's role in the kingdom. For many years, I've been an admirer of Mother Teresa of Calcutta, and I know she had some wrong doctrine and stuff, and I acknowledge that. But her life and her resolve to serve Christ distinctively as a woman has always intrigued and inspired me. Um, in 1989, Time Magazine interviewed her in an article entitled A Pencil in the Hand of God. In that interview, the reporter kept trying to get her to sound like a feminist, and her resistance was both instructive and a little entertaining. So the interview starts off. I'll just share a bit of it with you. Question, what did you do this morning? And she answers, pray. When did you start? Half past four. And after prayer? Answer, we try to pray through our work by doing it with Jesus, for Jesus, to Jesus. <clears throat> that helps us put our whole heart and soul into doing it. The dying, the crippled, the mentally ill, the unwanted, the unloved, they are all Jesus in disguise. And then after this, the reporter really tries to draw her into the feminist controversy. He asks, does the fact that you're a woman make your message more understandable? She answers, I never think like that. Question. Feminist Catholic nuns sometimes say that you should pour your energy into getting the Vatican to ordain women. That does not touch me, she says. And last question. What do you think of the feminist movement among nuns in the West? In reply, Mother Teresa really says it great here. She says, I think we should be busier with our Lord than with all that. Busier with Jesus and proclaiming his word. What a woman can give, no man can give. That is why God has created them separately. Nuns, women, any woman. Woman is created to be the heart of the family, the heart of love. If we miss that, we miss everything. They give that love in the family or they give it in service. That is what their creation is for. I love that. She was such an amazing lady to me. Um, but before I dive into this topic, I feel I should make a little disclaimer, and that is that I acknowledge that Scripture has a lot to say to men about their roles as leaders in the church and in the home and how they should love their wives and cherish them and consider them like co-heirs of the grace of life and all of that. However, I wanted to say today that while I do not... Um, these scriptures 
for men, while important, they're obviously not of primary concern for us as women. The women, uh, the men will be judged by those passages. We will not. And I say all of this because we get a lot of pressure these days to mold our way of thinking into the world's way of thinking. It seems like when we're talking about biblical roles for women these days, I personally feel a lot of pushback and particularly about abuse. It's getting more and more unpopular to teach what the Bible has to say about men's and women's roles in the church in particular. But if you really want to start a riot, just dare to address this topic anywhere today, uh, because it's become a topic of much confusion and contention, but it really doesn't need to be. Um, in the same way that we always encourage each other to read Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount in a simple and childlike way by faith and just let the words speak for themselves without a complicated interpretation, we can also apply this method as we dig into scripture to discover what our roles should be as women in the kingdom. So in this short message today, I would like to forget about what the men should be doing and just focus on what the scripture has to say to us as women in the kingdom of God even if it sounds hard or maybe even might feel a little archaic sometimes. And let me add one more very important disclaimer, and that is that while I don't feel we need to concern ourselves so much with what the men ought to be doing, I do want to acknowledge that some of the verses in the Bible that are addressed to women have been misused by ungodly men in the past and sometimes by powerful institutions to repress, abuse, and belittle women. And I just want to make it clear that I am absolutely not defending this. However, I also want to give us a heads up here and a bit of a warning that we really must be careful to distinguish the difference between a biblical pattern and its abuse. As Finney Curavilla often says here in our little fellowship, an argument against abuse is not an argument against use. In other words, we must be careful not to create our patterns of theology based on our reactions to past abuses. We know that doing that is only going to lead to like wild pendulum swings and worse yet can throw us off course in our search for divine truth. So admittedly, the abuses throughout history have been that have been imposed upon others, particularly women, under the guise of spiritual leadership and biblical authority. They've been real and they're very serious. And all of these offenses will be held accountable by God on Judgment Day. So I just want to make it clear that I don't wish to defend any of them. So, so what I'm asking for us to do today is try to erase any preconceived ideas that might have infected our ability to look at the Word of God without bias and just simply consider what the simple biblical language is saying to us as women. What does the pattern look like that we've received from Scripture regarding a woman's role in the kingdom of God? I'd like to highlight another one of my favorite role models here for a minute, and that is Elizabeth Elliot. As most of you probably know, Elizabeth was the wife of the famous missionary Jim Elliot. And if you recall, as a young wife, Elizabeth lost her husband when he was speared to death while trying to bring the gospel to the unreached Aka people in Ecuador. In the years that followed, God really used Elizabeth to minister to thousands of women like me, and he's still using her. I'm still ministered by to her, I mean by her as I read and watch things that she's left for us, but she championed the joys of finding our peace and fulfillment and accepting what the Lord had set forth uh, as biblical roles for us as women. But much like Mother Teresa, Elizabeth also was frequently challenged by people who wanted to draw her into the feminist movement for their own agenda. So in Elizabeth's fight for biblical womanhood, though, she made frequent efforts to clarify the differences between abuse and biblical patterns. And so she often taught that we must learn to differentiate between stereotype and archetype. And speaking on stereotypes, I'm going to read a quote that she gave us. We cannot swallow the feminist doctrine that femininity is a mere matter of cultural conditioning of stereotypes perpetuated by tradition, or even the product of some nefarious 
plot hatched by males in some prehistoric committee meeting. Please do not misunderstand me, she says. We must and we do deplore the stereotypes that caricature the divine distinctions. We deplore the abuses perpetrated by men against women. And she continues, but have we forgotten the archetypes? Stereotype is a word generally used disparagingly to denote a fixed or conventional notion or pattern. An archetype is the original pattern or model embodying the essence of things and reflecting in some way the internal structure of the world. So I googled the word stereotype for this meeting and Google defines stereotype as a widely held but fixed and oversimplified image or idea of a particular type of person or thing. And interestingly, and perhaps most revealingly, is the one quintessential example that Google gives for the word stereotype. And it says, and I quote, such as the stereotype of the woman as the carer or caregiver. So Elizabeth Elliott said, and I join her today, I am not here to defend stereotypes of femininity, but to try to focus on the original pattern. To illustrate her point, Elizabeth would often lift up her Bible, and I wish I had one with me now. (laughs) She would hold it up and say, this is my straight edge. You cannot possibly know how crooked you are until you attempt to lighten up with your straight edge. So it's only by using the straight edge of scripture that we can ever begin to see how crooked we are. The organizers of this Strength to Strength talk today gave me a title that specifically mentions the word kingdom. Why do we use that word? When we stop to consider what it means to be women of the kingdom, we must read our Bibles as one consistent story, which unfolds from Genesis to Revelation. In this story, we learn about God ushering in a king, and this kingdom obviously has a king with followers who will obey the rules of his kingdom. So in this kingdom, we assume our roles as women to take part in, serve, expand it, and ultimately to bring honor and glory to our king. We call to mind that one day this kingdom is going to encompass the entire earth. Through Christ as a woman, I am a citizen, I am a soldier, I'm a servant, and yes, I'm even a warrior in this kingdom. Jesus is my captain or my general, and as our great captain, Jesus has given us war plans and weapons. So what are our weapons? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 8. This passage tells us how our captain distributed the weapons that are to be used in this battle for his kingdom. And I'll just read this, uh, Ephesians 4, 7 and 8. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Well, the word man there is actually just human being. So he gave gifts, or maybe we can look at them as weapons to all of us. So in this passage, Paul is telling us that all of us are in the battle, but we haven't all been given the same mission, the same calling, or the same weapons. And as we ponder that, I want to lift up one of the most forgotten weapons and battle plans, and that is the beautiful and powerful role of the woman in this battle. The weapons and the battle plans for women are distinctly different than those given to men. Curiously, the Bible describes the battle plans for women with such descriptives as quiet, submissive, workers at home, nurturers, So what does the Bible say a kingdom woman is? Well, perhaps it would be instructive to take a minute to just stop and consider what a kingdom woman is not. And unfortunately, we really won't be able to take time for that today. But for starters, I think we can certainly acknowledge she's going to be very different from the world around her. The Old Testament provides us with many descriptions of battles. And in several of them, um, and especially in the Old Testament, God will describe the defeat of an enemy, which ironically is often brought on by their own self-destruction. In several places, God describes the enemy um, being overcome as a direct result of their having given way to fear, panic, breaking rank, confusion, derision. 
even getting lost on the battlefield. And then there are the descriptions that follow of the shockingly gruesome and graphic scenes that resulted when the enemy had turned in on itself, leading to its own demise and annihilation. Every time this happened, the enemy lost the war. And so this to me is sort of the scary part that in so many homes and churches from all types of communities, we see this very same thing happening today. We lose the kingdom battle when we turn on our own families and on our own people. And this is a very sobering thought to ponder. It can be very hard to recognize The descriptions today of the ensuing spiritual destruction that follows in these cases is sadly just as gruesome and graphic as the Old Testament foreshadowing, only the stakes are much higher because now it's a spiritual battle. Recognizing this reality, I think, can really help us put in perspective the seriousness of our calling and what happens if we get it wrong. So if we recognize there's a very real danger of becoming an enemy of the Lord's plans and ways I think we could take caution to avoid stumbling into believing the lies that end up leading us into this kind of failure. Again, the stakes are higher now, but the enemy is just as real. So the world needs kingdom women. From Sarah there with Abraham to Mary before the angel Gabriel to Priscilla with Aquila, we desperately need kingdom women today who have the same faithful spirit as these heroines of our faith who've gone before us. So we've talked about what the word stereotype means, and now I'd like to consider the meaning of the word archetype. The word literally means the perfect original example or model from which something is developed or made. Sarah and Mary and Priscilla are all excellent archetypes of kingdom women. In other words, they are great examples that we can safely follow and pattern ourselves after. So let's ask ourselves honestly today, are we kingdom women like Sarah and Mary and Priscilla? Let's look at the scriptures to help us answer that question. I want to start with a real gold nugget of scripture. It's actually a powerful passage because it really says so much. And we just really need to be careful not to miss this because it's actually quite loaded. Like this is a big punch for us as women. Let's look at 1 Peter right at the end of chapter 2. It says that Jesus defeated Satan and left us an example and that we should follow in his steps. In verse 24, Peter describes this victory, saying that Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So he fills this passage with powerful language of how Jesus won the battle. In this example, Peter says that his life gave us an example that we should follow in his steps. And as you all know, in the original text, there's no chapter three. But then the very next section begins with what our modern Bible calls chapter three. So there in chapter three, verse one, he continues, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Wow. Why would Peter dare to compare our submission to our husbands to the death of Christ on the cross? I don't know. That's very sobering to me, but that's what he said. Remember, in the original documents, there's no chapter division. The original went right from chapter two to chapter three. That's the comparison that Peter gives. After talking about the victory of Jesus on the cross for our sins, he says, wives, likewise, Be submissive to your own husbands. That's a pretty high calling, and it's certainly not glamorous. When I read this passage, sometimes I can hardly get past the toxic stereotypes that we've all created around these words, and quite frankly, I feel convicted because I too fall short. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. So let's look at this passage and what follows that in detail. I always find it interesting that the scripture specifically says here that we are to be submissive to our own husbands. There are a lot of husbands out there, you know, even in the church, there are lots of husbands with lots of opinions, but both here in Ephesians 5, the scriptures specifically say 
we should submit to our own husbands. It's not just an addition by the translators. The word own in Greek literally means pertaining to being the exclusive property of someone. Wow, let's not miss that point. Ephesians 5 says the same thing, but adds to it another pretty tough section saying, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then Ephesians goes on saying, for the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject as Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Did he have to say everything? I admit that can be really hard sometimes. When discussing this passage and others like it, a lot of ladies will say to me, well, you don't know my husband. And they'll often say, if I had a husband that did his part, then I would do my part. And if he's supposed to be the leader, then he better lead in all this hard stuff. And I understand that. Um, so yes, the scriptures have some pretty hard words for us and for for husbands and men also. So, But let's be careful. Very conspicuously, the first Peter passage, unlike the Ephesian passage, goes on to frame all of this within the context of an unbelieving husband. So Peter goes on saying, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. I'll be the first to admit that's a pretty challenging passage, and that word fear should be explored. The abuse of this word is deplorable. The idea of a beaten, abused woman quickly comes to mind, and I hate that. And that's not what this scripture is teaching here, but that's the stereotype of this passage. So what is the archetype? The Greek word for fear here is important to look at because this whole passage ends with another very different form of the word fear. The word fear in Greek here is not beaten down or frantic or panicking. It is a significant word that means profound respect, reverence. With the archetype in place, let's read this verse again. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by profound respect and reverence, i.e. fear. And let's let the Holy Spirit make this passage come alive for us. What is our conduct? Is it submissive? Is it quiet? And may I even ask by any modern translation, is it? Chaste conduct accompanied by fear, or in other words, profound respect and reverence. I feel convicted, convicted as I fall so short when I read those words. I realize I want to grow in this grace also. So following this, the passage goes deeper. 1 Peter 3.3, 3, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Well, unfortunately, sisters, the New King James Version added the word merely here. And I'm afraid that has done us all a very great disservice. The Greek simply says, do not let your adornment be outward, period. So let's pause here for a moment because it's a problem that is very challenging for all of us women. And Peter has it included in this whole section. So it must be important. Do not let your adornment be outward. So if we were to ponder this sentence and with every fiber in our being just sincerely desire to do what's right and pleasing to God in this, then what do we do with the simple, clear meaning conveyed here? I think we can be all too quick to just brush difficult and um, unpopular scriptures like this aside and just say it doesn't matter or it must not really mean what it clearly seems to say. Sometimes I'll be honest I reason in my own human mind, and I say, oh, but Lord, if I try to impose this on this sister or that sister, then it's going to mess up your plan, and I'm going to hinder that person from entering your kingdom, and I'm going to stumble them. But unless the Lord builds the house, we know we labor in vain. So do I really believe God this is his work, and I can trust him that if I teach his word, 
And yes, every woman, whether you're single or married or how old you are, we all are instructed to teach the younger women that we should be not get, get uh, shy away from speaking the truth in love. So I also want to remember that Jesus is watching and his reward is with him to render to those who keep and teach his commandments until he comes. He even says, those who love me, keep my commandments. And if that's the case, and yes, we believe it is, then we should make sure we take every pain to get to the bottom of teachings like these before so glibly just brushing them off. I really tremble to think how easily it can happen to any one of us. And I really, really feel like I'm very much in that crew. Like it can happen to me so easily. So uh, um, the battle can get long and tiring. And sometimes it just feels like it'd be easier to drop some of these things just because we're battle weary. But I think we must ask the Lord for the grace to care and to be good, conscientious stewards of his word and live it and teach it faithfully for him until he returns for us. Okay, so going on, in case we need some detailed examples, and yes, we probably do, Peter went on to give us some details. It says we should not adorn ourselves by, quote, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. I will tell you that I've found a lot of peace in simply letting this passage say what it says. Trying to wiggle out of this causes so much confusion. The Bible says that we should not adorn ourselves by arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. So when I was in the army, my drill sergeant had some very specific ideas about how we were supposed to dress. And for some reason, the way we dressed was important to the larger mission. If I didn't think it was that important, it wouldn't have been very good for me, especially if I wanted to be a faithful soldier, you know, to carry out my mission. So it's actually pretty simple, but it doesn't stop there. Peter then brings the emphasis of the whole passage to our inner conduct, focusing on the inner spirit and conduct. Peter says, rather, rather than trying to focus all our attention on the outside as the world would have us do, let's read this verse. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Well, this isn't sure what the world will tell you. And Elizabeth Elliot always used to say that the more modern an idea is, the more suspect it ought to be in your mind, because this modern world has set itself in direct opposition to our God and against his rule. So, Let's reflect on the powerful weapons we have here at our disposal. If we are obedient to this instruction that our adornment should not be outward and that it ought to be a gentle and quiet spirit as our adornment. So let's think for a minute. Instead of decking yourself out like the world does and chasing after every outward beauty trend and treatment from schnazzy clothes to beautiful flowing hair and costly jewels, what if instead We should imagine this as a spiritual exercise to help us get the instruction for our battle plan. So let's imagine decking ourselves out instead with the expensive, costly, drop-dead, gorgeous jewelry of a meek and a quiet spirit. I mean, who are we trying to please anyway, the world or the Lord? If indeed he is our Lord and he really is our Lord, If so, then we really need to be sure we get this right. It's not just a a nebulous thing. It matters. So let's be honest, though. Warfare, it's not easy. It's hard. Being a soldier calls for some pretty serious self-denial. Like, who wants to be quiet, especially if your goal is to fight and win battles? And who really relishes the idea of being gentle? I think we all want to be bold and brave and maybe even a little brazen for our king, you know, especially if we think we want to promote our cause and, you know, win the day. But our Lord was not afraid to be our example. He manifested the ultimate traits of meekness and gentleness. So even though he was referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah, ultimately in Revelation, he's, excuse me, depicted as a lamb, and not just a lamb, but a slain lamb. So what is Peter teaching us here about a gentle and quiet spirit is admittedly challenging. If this were the only place in scripture that this was mentioned, it would be tough enough. 
But this passage is not the only one. There are many others like it. And there are other hard passages in the New Testament that actually give us instruction as to what our behavior as kingdom women should look like in the church. These instructions are given to women, both married or single. But brace yourselves. You'll need your shield of faith to come face to face with these teachings. For not only are they not popular, they're certainly not for the cowardly, and they are not for doubtful disputers. They're not for the fearful or the unbelieving. It takes real manly courage and bravery to come face to face with these hard battle instructions. So let's take a look at three hard passages that are in the same spirit as 1 Peter. So first in 1 Corinthians 14.34, when describing the church service, Paul says, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. But they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. And then Titus 2.5 says that women are to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And finally, 1 Timothy 2.11 goes so far as to say, Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in the childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. We'll talk about stereotypes. How can we ever read these passages free from the abuse of stereotypes and toxic experiences that we all bring to them? I think the only way to overcome these stereotypes is simply to let the scriptures say what they plainly say. As Elizabeth would say, Let's hold up our ideas next to that straight edge and see where we might be a little crooked. Excuse me. The Timothy passage mentions Eve. Remember that in the garden when Eve thought she was missing out on something better and more specifically, she thought that God was denying her of better things. It was then that Satan offered her something that he said would be far more profound and awesome. And Satan had her doubt God's word by saying, yay, did God say It was like the serpent was saying, seriously, you don't think God actually meant that, do you? I mean, give me a break. I think that could be a fair modern rendering of that, of his reasoning to Eve. And she fell for it. In contrast, contrast, though, Mary, um, the mother of our Lord, when she was receiving the news, which on many levels must have looked like it would ruin her life or maybe even get her killed. She simply replied, Be it unto me according to your will. Like she didn't have to go home and think about that for a long time. Like she was ready. She was in season and she just was surrendered already before being spoken to, I believe. So if we want to be like Mary instead of Eve, we should stop thinking that God doesn't have our best interest in mind when these hard commands come to us. It is actually very healthy that every now and then we pause to remember that God has given us these commands because they're actually for our good. And remember, it takes faith to obey such hard commands. The Lord even said, when I return, will I even find faith on the earth? I would love for us to be those keepers of the faith for him. So for a moment, let's drop the old stereotypes and embrace the archetypes. Simply put, if we want to be kingdom women, We should display the qualities of gentle and quiet spirits. This is the archetype that is very precious in the sight of God. And then let's go back to our first Peter passage for a bit. Following his instruction that women should have the ornament of a gentle and quiet spirit, Peter provides us a historic example and a very challenging one. Focusing on the true adornment, verse 5 says, For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God, also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and and are not afraid with any terror. 
I don't even know what to do with Peter's example here when he says, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, any more than I know what to do with Paul's example saying, submit to our husbands as unto the Lord. It's hard stuff, and I'm not completely sure what it looks like, but I think we have an idea what it looks like. I think all of us do. And in short, I think we should all be more like Mary, fully surrendered and less like Eve, always questioning God's plan for us. Finally, Peter finishes his passage by bringing it back to fear. Whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Peter says that to be a daughter of Sarah, we can't give in to fear and any terror. He curiously closes the whole section by saying that we can mess this all up by giving in to fear and panic. It's like the Old Testament armies that defeated themselves and and thereby lost the war. By giving in to fear and panic, they broke rank, they turned in on their own people and destroyed themselves. Peter wanted us to go to a higher way, to not be afraid with any terror. Sisters, God is in control and we can trust him. So in summary to the scriptures, what does a woman of this kingdom look like? She's quiet, discreet, submissive, a keeper at home, nurturing, good, obedient, not following after the patterns of this world. So she's noticeably different than the world around her. In closing, I'd like to share a little story about a lady named Juliana Nitschman. Her life was a testimony of a true kingdom woman. Born in Moravia, she had fled persecution, settled in Hernhut, Germany, and then if that wasn't enough, she went on to serve the rest of her life as a missionary in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. She died in 1757 and is buried there in Bethlehem in a cemetery called God's Acre, God's Acre is an amazing cemetery to visit. Buried there, you'll find some of the bravest missionaries and Bible translators and preachers this world has ever known. It's such a beautiful example of what a church ought to be in mission and in purpose. And there, buried alongside them, are many first-generation Christian American Indians who became converts, laboring right alongside them in their endeavors to spread the kingdom. The Moravians were big on humility and equality, looking to Christ as the only one worthy of special honor. But because of their emphasis on humility, you'll notice that all their tombstones are pretty flat. None of them stand out like above the other, with the exception of one right in the center of this beautiful cemetery of this beautiful departed church body. You'll notice one grand stone raised higher than all the others, noticeably honored, and it's that of Juliana Nitschman. Well, why? When my husband was doing his research on the Moravians, his friend and fellow Moravian fan, Mike Atnett, pointed it out. He told the awesome story behind her clear place of honor. He explained the reason she was chosen to be in this highest place of honor there in their resting place where they awaited the great resurrection of the dead is because they felt that her attitude as a servant exemplified Jesus more than anyone else had. Even in all their brave exploits for the kingdom, hers stood out above them all. So while the others were doing marvelous exploits for Christ, she was there washing the saints' feet, and they all agreed she had tirelessly served others and washed the saints' feet more than any of those heroes you'll find buried there. What an honor and what a legacy, and what an example for us to follow. What if Juliana, though, had been more concerned about preserving her rights in her lifetime than she was about pouring her life out for others? What if she'd spent her life championing championing the causes of women's rights in that day on this earth, instead of meekly and humbly serving the church and supporting its mission? This little Moravian community was extremely fruitful in their lifetime, leaving us a lasting legacy of many successful church plants and converts all over the world. Oh, that we would do the same. And Juliana was a very important hidden component behind the success of this great work. 
Sisters, on Judgment Day, I think we're all going to find that this is going to be the case a lot more than we thought. So let's not sell it short and vain pursuit of trying to catch something that was never intended to be ours. Juliana Nitschman faithfully ran her race, and now she's resting from her labors, having fought a good fight and had a good finish. But now it's our turn I pray we can stir one another up in our generation, and as the Strength to Strength website says, be catalysts for the furtherance of Christ's kingdom on this earth, and in the end, have the same good finish, having fought the good fight of faith as true women of the kingdom. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tanya. That was wonderful. Um, Yeah, very very practical. I uh, come from a um, a family, like I mentioned, I was raised by a single mother and it was my younger sister that lived in the home with us. So we come from a family that was very much like women can do it all. We can go to work, we can raise children and, um, and that kind of lifestyle. And I was very much raised in the world. And so now coming to my faith and wanting to follow the writings of Jesus and the apostles and living by them, um, I've really had to make a lot of changes in my life. Um, I still have a huge, a long way to go, um, but thank you for this message. It was really inspiring, and I really appreciate it. Um, we are going to open it up for questions now. Uh, we ask that if you do ask a question, just turn your camera on so that we can see you. Um, if you're a little camera shy, you can always submit a question to the chat box at the bottom as well. appreciated what you had to share Tanya and um, and as you were speaking um, I think it meant even more to me because I know the life you live so I thank you for that but I did have one question that kept coming to my mind Um, you used the word quiet more than once you know that quiet and gentle spirit is our archetype so I wondered could you just tell us a little bit what that quiet means. Does it mean just a few words? You know, some of us aren't as given Mm -hmm. to be a few words as some others are. So I was wondering, like, what does quiet mean? Yeah. Well, I think one thing that comes to my mind is this: when Mary had that word from the angel, there was already a work in her heart that had her in a place of surrender, I've often heard Elizabeth Elliot say that surrender is the absolute essence of femininity. Like there's something about surrender that's so liberating, but so often we're in a struggle before we actually can get to that place. And we, I think we do sometimes have seasons where we're more there than others. Like we're constantly in a battle every day. Like we don't get it and put it in our pocket and say, Whew, glad I got that. I'm quiet now. But I know Elizabeth also laughs and says, have you ever known a quiet woman? You know, she's so funny. Actually, I have known a few and I, I know I know one who lives right here on my block. And anyway, I won't say her name. She's really wonderful, but she's naturally quiet. I've known several and I am not naturally that way. And but I think it should mean exactly what it says. So instead of trying to say, oh, uh, God must have wanted Tanya Taylor to show everybody what quiet looks like. It's a lot, many decibels higher than we thought it was. But no, no, let's just let it say exactly what it says and just always try to to find our way to get there. And yeah, just just take it at face value as much as possible. Um, Tanya, you mentioned when you're talking about adornment and not letting it be outward, you said, live it and teach it faithfully. Mm-hmm. I, my question is, where, where do you draw the line to be um, graceful with people, but wanting to teach them that this is what the Bible says? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that question makes sense. I, it's something I, that I'm yeah. kind of dealing with lately. Yes. Where, I don't want to be forceful on people. I know what it was like to stop wearing jewelry and makeup and all that stuff. So I know that it's hard for some women 
Absolutely. How do I be graceful, but yet Mm -hmm. try to live it out faithfully and teach them it? Well, several things come to my mind right off the bat in that it's definitely helpful to be in a godly church fellowship that has some guidelines set forth and expectations on its members. And so that that is a great tool for discipleship and kind of gives an understanding of where we are and what we're all about. And I think the best example, though, I like I would not go into this with a lady at the grocery store who's doing a great act of love upon me. You know, maybe she's just saved my day like I'm having a horrible day and she finds my wallet and brings it to me or whatever. She wouldn't be the one I'd be trying to um, disciple about some of these things at that time. Um, just knowing the time is important. I think not everyone is ready like Mary was when she received the word. But if we encounter truth seekers, um, you definitely start feeling when they really are saying, I really, I will do anything for the truth if you just tell me what it is. And so there definitely has to be a readiness on the part of the hearer. And, uh, but it's definitely just such a blessing though in the church body to have a preconceived idea of where we're going and why and have that internal support to one another, each other. I've experienced that as well. And I, I do think it's an erring, like we all need to, we all sharpen one another. And I, I think while in general, I think this may be more prone in the Anabaptist settings. I've experienced that. And as the wild Texas girl who's half Hungarian, uh, coming in was always a challenge. Like I, it took me so many years just to stop embarrassing myself. And, you know, to finally get the idea of what, you know, what a gentle and meek and quiet spirit looked like. And I'm so thankful. I had so many loving, patient people um, help me along in that. But I will say, you know, we all tend to have our, our weak spots. And I think that should be something that needs to be strengthened a little bit and shored up a little bit because, you know, it takes great effort to love and to care and to extend our hearts to each other. So probably I would say it's an area that just, it needs a little bit of um, sanctifying maybe, but you know, I guess the only way to do that is maybe share, oh, oh I, I feel a little uncomfortable. I, but I guess Christ has to do that work in each heart, but I, I do feel like it's it is that in itself, it's a problem on the other end of the spectrum from some of us who tend to be too talkative and don't know when to be quiet. Then that's another ditch. You know, there tends to be a ditch on either side, and I, I think that is a ditch. And it's I think it's right that you feel uncomfortable, and and maybe the Lord could use you to bring some grace and some sensitivity and some understanding there. Um, but I, I think it's a hard thing. It's, it can make you feel very uncomfortable. I've been there. Thanks. I have a question, a couple questions actually that came to mind. But yeah. uh, for you, Tanya, you okay. said how hard it is to learn that coming into some of the more Anabaptist settings. I think the challenge to learn to speak and to learn to be able to just verbalize, you know, your own experience and stuff is probably as big for those of us who were never really allowed to 
or mm-hmm. not as in getting out of our place, but as in, oh, I don't know how to explain it, but just, just to learn to, that you can speak, you know, and you yeah. should have as much of a testimony as a man, like, mm-hmm. and for the world around us, like right. that, that we should know this and this should be our, our fire as much as any man's. And mm-hmm. I guess that's yeah. been very thrilling to me to learn that. It's just been absolutely life-changing. Wow. Um, anyway, I had a little question. Um, we were listening to The Bible Comes Alive. I don't know if you've ever heard of those stories, the Bible stories for children. They're your story hour. Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. You can listen to all of them. Oh, they are so... Many memories of driving my van in tears hearing someone's story. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny because... It's brought the Bible just literally alive for me, especially. I mean, I've known these stories all my life. And I was kind of listening to these, um, just the first one. And it was talking about Eve. You know, she had left. And I sometimes suspect they may add details. I don't know. I guess they have to fill. But that Eve had left Adam's side. And that opened her up to that temptation. And... It just all of a sudden was very powerful to me. And I just thought, now, how much of that is actually what the Bible says? And how much of that is speaking something that we won't find unless we really seek it? And, you know, what is that saying to me? Like, I don't know. I just thought there was a lesson there that the Bible doesn't really say that she wasn't with Adam, but we could tend to really assume that she wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder if that's what opened her up to that serious temptation of Adam. If she would have stayed under his wing more, if Adam would have um, been able to say no. Mm, That's good. I think there's a lesson in there somewhere. When you read some of those hard passages in scripture, that I think there must be a lesson in there somewhere. There's, There's something there. Yeah, I think too. Yes, and thank you. God bless oh, you for sharing. Oh, thank you so much. That was such a privilege. It's good. Hi, Tanya. Hi, Darla. <laughs> I really appreciated what you shared. Something that really struck me um, was when you were saying how fear in regards to our husbands is actually in great, a great reverence. It's a great respect, which is incredibly challenging to me. Um, And something that I have learned in my own life is an incredible tool that God uses um, in our lives as women. And in our, you know, we have a tremendous impact on our husbands as we show them that deep respect. Mm -hmm. And not only that, that we trust God in their lives. Like that just really impacted me. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And I also want to. I'm convicted too. (laughs) doing a message like this is so convicting. I absolutely. And I, yeah, I was very convicted. I continue to be convicted on that area in my life. Um, And on the sister that shared about the quiet women um, being so quiet. I am also one of those that is not naturally um, quiet, I guess you could say. And that is something that I've really sought the Lord on and how my life, like with, I believe he gives each of us certain personalities and how does he want to use, you know, our specific personalities for his glory. And one question I have for you is, do you think the quiet? So many times the Holy Spirit has tapped me on the shoulder and said, you need to be quiet. You need to learn to be quieter. But can it also be in relation to not just quiet in speech, but maybe quiet in our spirit, like at rest? Like as we come under the authority of our husbands and we, we, we respect them, we trust God in their lives, it brings a rest and a quiet to our very spirit. So it's not that we don't have a voice. It's not that we can't share. Um, but do you think that's applicable? Is that something that applies also that it, it's actually just as much our spirit is at rest or as quiet as our actual mouth? Is that something or am I taking scripture out of context? And I didn't know if this question was addressed toward me or the sister Linda. Um, it's, I don't care. <laughs> I, mean, I would love to hear what you have to say. Talk well, actually, what you say is what I was attempting to say is you've said it so well, as you always do. You've just got a gift, in my opinion, of sharing 
Um, but I feel like there is something to that, that when our spirit is at rest, it, it's definitely the precursor to manifest that ornament. Like quietness is, you know, instead of that frantic, uh, whatever, uh, not restful um, kind of person that no, no one really enjoys being around. And quite honestly, I can confess that I struggle with that. Like when I'm pus- pushed to my limits, that's what's tempted to come out. And as I grow older, it's definitely easier. But I, I love that thought, though, of that person that's just already at rest and surrendered. I think there's something really profound there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you did a, a great job expressing that. But thank you. Thank you. you know, and, and just thinking about those personalities, that was something that at one period in my life, I thought like being quiet, gentle spirit meant that I didn't have a voice until my husband reminded me one of the reasons he married me was for my voice. Like he, he wanted me to stay true to who God had created me to be, but in that bring those things under the power of the Holy spirit. So I am still very much a work in progress, but anyway, thank you so much, Tanya. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Tanya, for what you shared. Um, I have two questions. One is, I would like to know if you could give us a, um, a resource that we could go to for those that would be interested in studying Juliana's story. Where can we find that? Hmm. Okay, excuse me one second. Let me go to my little walking resource library. Honey, <laughs> any recommendations over there? You know, I actually emailed uh, Mike. Uh, just before your message, and uh, it's been a while since he's read it, uh, and um, I, I did a little googling about it. I did find a, a print of of the tombstone, but I, I I couldn't get the exact story. But just putting her name in, in a little bit, you can find the basics and what she's also called the mother of Pennsylvania. Um, but uh, I didn't get all the details that Mike had in those days. Okay. If I find out more, maybe I could send them along to Christina and she could post them. But were you able to hear my husband? Okay. Yes, we could. And we can also link them on the Strength to Strength um, website under your talk. So once we get that resource, then we will put that on there. Great. Yeah. Other question I have for you quickly (laughs) is I would love to know, and you can step on our toes here. um, I would love to know what you would see that. For us as Anabaptists, what are some blind spots for us in practically um, the principle of not uh, adorning ourselves outwardly? What are some of those blind spots that we don't see? Okay. Well, you know, as you know, there's every end of the spectrum when it comes to plain representation. So it's, I guess, the thing that comes to my mind foremost of a lot of Anabaptist groups is like, really tight form-fitting dresses, you know, even though it's like, (sighs) I know they mean well, but, you know, I often wonder about that. And yeah, it's a very, very hard thing. So that, that always seems strange to me, um, you know, because I think we've forgotten what we're doing and what our fight is. And, uh, but, you know, with the younger generation, I think that's the hardest um, battle. And I don't want to go you know, so extreme that you can't just still be a woman. But you know what I mean? Like it's when it's really tight and really extreme. But more than that, I think, is the spirit, you know, like if the spirit of the woman is just like, maybe they're dressed right, and they look really, really modest, but you just get this spirit that, and you know, that can be very vague. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's very much like a lady you'd meet in the world who's a little intimidating and honored the top of her game. And, you know, you just are like, I don't know. They just don't remind you of anything we read about in the old Testament or the new Testament, except maybe Jezebel. Um, and I hope I'm communicating this well, but that, that I think the tight dress thing and not being able to address that, what is the purpose and why are we even wearing these quote plain dresses? Um, and, uh, I guess, I speak to myself also just being reluctant to evangelize. And I have been the world's worst lady. Um, You know, here I'm living in this 
church um, now that is very, very um, excited about evangelism and constantly stirring one another up to share our faith in a meaningful way and constantly endeavor. You know, Jesus was just constantly, constantly, constantly sharing the truth of the kingdom to anyone who would take the time to listen. And that convicts me. It's taken me a long, I've been here two and a half years and I'm still figuring this out. I started that way. And I think while I've received some of the most precious things in my life from the Anabaptists, that would be an area maybe we could shore up on is learning to feel the 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 necessity of everyday evangelism. And again, I'm right in there with you. I I need a talking to. And so <laughs> that would be those would be two areas that would come to my mind. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, Tanya, thank you so much for your time. Um, can you close in prayer, please? And thank you all so much again for the privilege of this. So let's close in prayer. Oh, our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for this time together and for, Lord, you that you gave us instructions and battle plans in your word, Lord, that you give, give us the inspiration that we get to be warriors for you. And Lord, I just ask that you would please, please strengthen every single heart here to the battle, Lord, that you would quicken us and make us able to um, carry out your battle plan for us, that each one of us would know what that plan is and that we'd stir one another up daily while it's still called the day. And Lord, that we can rest one day like Juliana Nichman as we await the resurrection of the dead. And Lord, we totally want to glorify you and look to you in everything. I just pray you, please, please um, turn my water into wine from this day and let it be instructive and help us all to grow in every grace to um, please you and to glorify you and to help be catalysts for your kingdom here on this earth. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you very much. Thank you all. Tanya, thank you ladies. Yeah, thank you for being on this this call as well. Um, Our next talk will be in two months from now. So that's going to be on December 4th. We are going to change the time till to uh, 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, It's going to be by Darlow Weaver. It's going to be God, Grace, and Godly Womanhood. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Blessings on your day. God bless you, Tanya. You too, Christina. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's been wonderful. I enjoyed it so much. God bless you all. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, 